All right. So, Nick, I've got a question for you this week. All right. What is this show about? Hmm. I, I think it's about mostly it's about tinkering, um, but we're making an effort to make it about more than that. Um, so why do I make cameras is really the same question as what's this show about? Well, <laughs> because... okay, okay, okay. Let me <laughs> let me rein in for a second. I think that, that was a really good explanation. But what I what I meant is, what is this episode about? Oh, <laughs> same same thing. So uh, you you're wondering what this episode is about? Because yeah, what's, what is this episode going to okay. be about? That is my all question. right. So <laughs> I I was um I was going through all these random notes I have on things I'd like to try, and and I was putting them writing them all down on old fashioned. Uh, note cards that you put in a in like a card file box sure. because because I find that really satisfying and then also because then all my notes are in one place and I can rearrange them like shuffling a, a deck of cards which is better than having them in you know a sort of million different sure. notebooks yeah. right and and I like notebooks too um, but they you can't play with them the same way you've got to you know just read them and so I was doing that, and and I was noticing that most of the like really fun, interesting ideas of things I want to try out really wouldn't work on a, a modern standard type of camera. You you have to have one of these more simple old-fashioned cameras that I like to use or build, because the best thing about them for me is that you can do all kinds of odd things that you know a a more advanced camera won't allow things like, you know, what uh, Graham has been doing these great slit uh, mask photographs, and it only works because he's using a Holga that has a film advance that's just a knob, and you can you can t advance tiny amounts instead of having to go one whole frame, and so that sort of boneheaded camera can do something that a, a more advanced camera can't do. So that's that's what got me onto this is that a lot of the more out there and fun projects that I want to do actually depend on simple, crude cameras to, to even do them. So that, that was how this uh, this idea started. And I, then I also found a lot of uh, overlap with some other, you know, I was listening to classic lenses podcast oh no i was listening to yeah that's the one and there was a discussion of what kind of cameras to use when you're traveling and how cameras can be a big distraction and, and get in the way of interacting with your companions or family or whatever and that's something we've talked about i've talked about a lot i find the cameras that have viewfinders that have a lot of convenience and stuff going on in them can be a big distraction and i wasn't so much concerned that they distracted me from my companions but that they distracted me from actually thinking about the photograph itself the subject what's going on in the world and you tend to think too much about the camera and what the camera you know cares about or is showing you and and that can be a distraction so it's just another idea where some a very simple camera that you sort of set and forget and then just point compose and shoot can be a big advantage uh, because it kind of keeps keeps you out in the world instead of pulled inside the camera. So that's it. Okay, and but it, in in a nutshell, what is the title of this episode? 
<laughs> crazy ideas. And so it, it sounds it sounds to me like um, you're. I mean, are, aren't your cameras um, either very very simple and like not crazy? You know, like so well, I use them all. I've got, a lot of I've got yeah. And I've then on the other end of the sure sure. Yeah, I yeah. use I use fancy digital cameras that are extremely sophisticated, um, but even there, uh, my favorite uh, are Fuji X cameras, and those are designed so that you can use them in a simple-minded way very easily. So the simple controls are out on the surface, and the crazy, complicated stuff is buried in there in the menus, and you can ignore it pretty easily. Uh-huh. And and that's so that's one of the reasons I like them because they work in that mode. Uh, but you're right. I like complicated cameras. And, a, you know, a good example of one that I really like is a Roloflex. It's all mechanical, but it does a lot of stuff for you. Um, it only, it will you turn a crank and it cocks the shutter and advances to the next frame. And when you load the film, it automatically uh, starts at the right place. And there's a lot of convenience there. But it, it does mean that it's harder to do other uh, kind of experimental things with it than than say an old knob wind camera would be. So it's a trade-off. Um, but part of the idea is that in, you can think of very simple all manual cameras as being more sophisticated in a way. And, and you know, look at large format. Um, that's a, sort of takes it to the greatest extreme. Those are very, very simple cameras, but they offer more control, more options, more experimental possibilities than uh, than more convenient and complex cameras do. Yeah, so these, the idea that simple cameras uh, can be more flexible, something I come back to a lot. Uh, but it's it, you can certainly argue the other side of that. Uh, I see in the show notes here that you're planning to argue. So, um, you know, it's, it's not meant to be a hard and fast rule. It's just that there are opportunities that open up when you have, uh, let's say, more of the control of the devices in your hands and less is left up to the machine. So the more analog the machine is, uh, the more hands-on the controls are, then the more op- opportunity you have to monkey with the process. So, yeah, I think I think uh, you've blindsided me with, with your definition of crazy ideas because I, I really see, like, I, I'm going to keep pushing on this, is that... Um, you kind of make like very simple and practical cameras that work really well. And then, then you spend a lot of time talking about like uh, amphibious cameras, you know, which I think those are, are crazy ideas. The simple ones are, are not so crazy. I can't argue against them. <laughs> but, oh, I see. But so you really have a preference for the practical. Like so many of your, your kooky ideas are like anything anything but yeah so it so i guess it wasn't the cameras that i was calling crazy um i was really talking about ideas like okay so graham slit mask is is an example right Uh, that's the crazy idea and then cameras that that do something uh, yeah that makes 
that leave you room for your crazy ideas. Now, when it comes to crazy cameras like the M wearable, uh, wearable, I, I missed the whole. I yeah okay now no 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 it's okay makes more sense to me I'm sorry about that <laughs> no that's all right but but actually I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to your your comment because crazy cameras are for me the same kind of thing uh, so if you make an amphibious uh, wearable photo lab for instance if I make one I'm gonna make a simple old fashioned version of that so it's a crazy idea but. It doesn't mean it needs, you know, a computer and a motor and, you know, some sort of ballast tank. See, I don't sure. think that way. I'm going to make the old one where you strap some weight around your waist and <laughs> put on some metal shoes or whatever. <laughs> you know, some, something simple. It, and in fact, one of my favorite books that I've talked about in the past is a really old book I have on underwater photography that that is, you know, got the guy in the with a brass helmet and <laughs> and that sort of thing going on in it and, and that that era is kind of what I connect with most so when you can build things with simple tools um just I like that kind of simplicity it's 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 something that even in a really kooky context I still kind of veer towards simple whenever possible I, it's funny that um, what you think of as simple and what I think of as simple is very different, right? Like for me, um, the handcrafting of, you know, uh, uh, sort of like one-off pieces without the ability to iterate, without the ability of uh, just, you know, telling a computer to do one thing when another thing happens rather than figuring out the mechanism. I mean, it seems so much simpler to me to uh, maybe, maybe less beautiful. Uh, I also am a big fan of simple mechanical cameras, but um, you know, it seems in terms of camera building much simpler to just use an Arduino than, than cams and gears if you can. Yeah, uh, well, that's probably true at some level, but you're making a, something that's intrinsically more complex in, in other ways. I don't know. Uh, to me, though, you're right. I make one, one things one at a time by hand, and that feels very natural to me. And one of the reasons is because you can adjust what you're doing all through the process. So there is power in being able to print out something identical. But the problem is you have to start all over again. At the, you have to start all Absolutely. over again at the beginning. And that... So it's, it's just like the, when I do design work, I draw with a pencil and and old-fashioned manual tools. And it's actually just as fast as using a computer the first time you do a drawing. Mm -hmm. The problem is, right, if you need to just change one little thing and, and then come up with a, a whole new drawing, it's a lot easier to, to do that in, in a computer. On the other hand, I just find it less satisfying. I feel less connected to what I'm doing. I don't know. I, I'm, old, I'm old school. I like working with my hands. I like seeing something take shape in real time at at full scale, you know, that, that just interesting. seems uh, more me, direct to me. For me doing camera dactyl cameras, it's very pleasing to put the first, you know, couple of a prototype together. But, you know, once I've made five, six, 10 of them, <laughs> you know, numbers, numbers, uh, 11 through a hundred or, you know, I could, I really, <laughs> really dislike, you know. Well, so that's a, that's, a, that's a trap that that printer yeah. is leading you into because 
the way I tend to build things, I build in adjustments and it and I'll tend to end up my final camera is very often the one I started building. It's this I don't start over again. I just keep fixing it <laughs> until it yeah. isn't broken anymore. <laughs> and, yeah. and that it, that's part of why I like doing direct metal work because as opposed to foundry work because you just basically start making something and you keep fixing it until it's the way you want it and you're done as opposed to you know making a mold and at the end of this long difficult process you find out ah, i didn't really like that after all and then you have to go back to the beginning mm-hmm. and that what you're describing is sort of the that to me is where the complexity comes in is that either there's so many moving parts as opposed to yeah. being able to just take you know your your recipe and and keep tweaking it i don't know no it's interesting i i just um i just finished the first working prototype of this panoramic camera that i'm working on and i also finished a first working prototype of this little pinhole camera that develops photos like a developing tank and one is like the most complicated camera i've ever made and the other is by far the simplest mm-hmm. uh, and which, I, which one which one already works pretty much <laughs> uh, they both work great actually uh the right. panoramic one is uh i don't know I, <laughs> I i enjoy the complexity i don't always enjoy putting together the uh complex things by hand <laughs> right 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 yeah uh, ah, they're they're both really useful techniques I guess it's partly also just what we're comfortable with because we've done it before a lot of times, you know, there's that too. Um, but uh, there's a lot more going on. I like, I like using ready-made stuff too. And that can be, that can add a lot of complication, you know, because something's not Mm -hmm. the right shape. And so there's this, there's also this side of it, which is if you start with something already present, whether it's a block of wood or, a part of an old camera that also major design constraints it forces you to adapt to that but that also simplifies your thought process because you don't have an infinite number of possibilities you know it's like oh i already have to deal with this stupid bayonet mount and it puts it this far from the film okay that limits Uh you know and, and it just narrows things down so there's also a way that that process although solving the problems can be complicated the actual thinking it through can be simpler because you have fewer choices and i don't know so that's another another side of it um, and 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 this goes back to there there's a type of sculpture um that's a three-dimensional version of collage the french call it bricolage and it basically means making a new thing out of parts that came from other things so it's frankenstein you know it's it's uh-huh. m- it's a an art form as well as a practical way to build things. Um, and you could argue that everything in, at some level is bricolage because we're always using yes. concepts and objects from the world. It's never completely out of our heads. So, Have you ever seen that YouTube channel where the guy makes things from scratch? I, I'm sorry, I forget his... Uh his channel but it's yeah i've heard about it's it. a fancy one um yeah. he did he, a lens from scratch where he actually made the glass and all that that guy yeah 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 and and like that i think he limits himself he makes the line of like anything he could forage from nature 
starting off with his bare hands or with a tool that he could make with his bare hands. Right. Usually, I don't know that this is the case when he made a lens, but um, yeah, I thought that was interesting and simple. I certainly am using a lot of precursors that are very, very complicated that I don't even need to understand, like the the software that uh, CAD works on or... Sure, but you know we all are. We're all using our yeah. brain, or our brains, which we certainly don't understand and have relatively <laughs> little control over. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it, it's it's the it's the nature of nature, right? Yeah. And that's hey, that's so- a, all right. Speaking of that, I'm not going to go on about it. But speaking of complicated, I mean, you know, each of the cells in our body have hundreds of thousands of tiny objects doing complicated things. You know, sure. It, complexity can work, but it's uh, it's a long time getting there. Yes. talking about uh, kooky projects or, or I guess non-standard um, types of photos that people might take with homemade or modified cameras yeah yeah um, so we mentioned Graham slit masks and how they depend on having a very simple knob to wind the film forward so that you can uh, wind it just a little bit at a time and there is one sophisticated wrinkle the, the Holga has a ratchet so that it only goes in one direction to prevent you from winding backward. And some people will even disable that so they can wind back and forth uh, with a camera. But that the fact that there's a ratchet allows you to measure how far you're traveling. So you can go one click or two clicks or three clicks. And that is perfect for the slit mask where you're just trying to expose a little bit of the film at a time. Um, and it makes me think, well, you know, I'd like to have a roll film back I could use on all sorts of cameras that would do that. Uh, and I probably could figure out how to all modify one of the ones that I have to, to make that happen. But it basically means taking it backward from something that's automatically positioning the frames for you to something that forces you to, to do it yourself directly. Um, and so, yeah. So this makes me think of something like um, I'm certainly not the first to do it, but I used to do it where I would take, you know, uh, 10 to 30 pictures sort of in a row making a panoramic and then I would just cut them up. Oh, these were, you know, um, on film. I was probably using a Nikon N8008. Uh, and I would just cut up the prints and glue them together in a long panoramic. And th- this is kind of like what you're talking about, but but maybe, um, you know, uh, all well, on I, one six-foot-long negative. or Yeah, I've know, seen, like, actually, I've seen people do that with a Holga. That's called a Holgorama type. Uh, type of photograph oh. where you you put the the Holga on a tripod and you move the camera wind the film a little bit move the camera wind the film a little bit so that you can create a big sweeping panorama on one long strip of film and it, and it's this it's the opposite of what Graham's doing with his slit that's just isolating a tiny little piece 
Um, yeah. It's basically creating what you were doing, but instead of doing it with scissors after you've made the prints, you're doing it in the camera with the film itself. And again, it's that knob wind that allows you to do that. So well, some some of these people took some excellent holograms, and I just uh, Google searched it uh, mm-hmm. when you brought it up. Yeah, this is really amazing. Right. And it's forcing you because you have to do it manually. So there's also swing lens cameras that are doing something a little bit like that. Sure. Um, But the fact that you have to do it manually means you have to really think about how far you're moving the film, how far you're moving the camera, what the relationship is between these different Mm -hmm. angles. And and that I think, you know, it's a little harder, but it also makes you pay more attention. So. Uh, I wonder if I could 3D print a little rotation jig so that you rotate your Holga exactly, sure. um, you know, 30 degrees or 60 degrees, whatever it is between pictures. Yeah, you'd find the, the nodal point of your crummy little lens yeah. <laughs> to pivot around. Yeah, and I mean, there's there, one of the cameras in our uh, zine of homemade cameras is Eben Aspie's amazing little swing lens camera that he made and yeah. designed and had 3d printed and that thing is really effective and it's extremely simple um, yeah so same kind of idea yeah so that's one kind of project and and being so that that's something i'd like to come up with is a a standard graph lock film roll film device that lets you control both forward and backward with or without a ratchet um exactly where the film goes and i think it would be really interesting to come up with a way to do it with uh 135 film as well you don't have the backing paper so but you're just measuring progress so that would could just be basically a different readout instead of a frame counter you could have something that told you how many inches you went you know sure forward and back and that that could be pretty simple to design and it would be would open up all kinds of possibilities um Oh, interesting. So the camera I just built, I realize, has this, I mean, it has a frame counter on top, but um, it could have another inches dial, or you could just calculate, you know, each frame is uh, two inches or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, you know, I will shoot some of those. I might make a six foot long panorama. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. And, And it would work great with the slit mask idea as well. So another thing that occurred to me is that a lot of the convenience built into more modern cameras has to do with not having to think through all this. And if you're taking a lot of pictures in a hurry, you don't want to have to like manually turn knobs and think about where you're going. So there's a there's a way that modern cameras are pushing towards just exposing frames with no thought, just point, click, push a lever, point, click, push a lever. That's great if you're taking a lot of pictures in a hurry. Um, and that goes with handheld cameras. It goes with, you know, somebody who's running around taking a lot of pictures. The other way to go towards old cameras had, has you using a tripod. And the, there's, I, can, I think you can sort of split photographers into two groups, the ones that hate tripods, you know, like Graham, and the ones that really appreciate them, even though it's a pain in the neck, they open up a whole lot of possibilities. And Here's some more crazy ideas that they open up. So I've been thinking about taking a a type of image where you leave the camera stationary pointed at a scene and then you change other uh, aspects of the photo. So, for instance, you could take a double exposure where half the exposure was through a pinhole and half was through a lens. 
I have no idea if this would do anything, but it's a thing I'd like to try. Um, mm. And you have to have a tripod to do that type of experiment. Um, so taking photos that you've you've changed. Another idea would be to shoot the same shot with different films and then merge it later. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that sort of experiment. Um, and that's another thing that goes towards the old tripod sitting, you know, camera sitting on a tripod way of working instead of instead mm -hmm. of being, you know, fast and, and agile with a, with a handheld machine. Yeah, I don't like getting pinned down by tripods. <laughs> I got quite a few, but yeah, I, I there are times when they're in the way, but there's other times when it's exactly the opposite. Um, and you know, I have started doing processes more and more where you have to use a tripod, and then you I start to appreciate the advantages of that. Um, so you yeah, know, I was it's, taking these pinhole pictures yesterday, uh, and. I was just I was setting the camera down on a on a table or on a barbecue grill or jeep mm -hmm. hood whatever it was flat and it just got really annoying to frame things after you know 20, <laughs> 20 uh, bad prints that were well a jeep a jeep is not a tripod I'm sorry I'm yeah not... no I finally got a <laughs> tripod and a giant rubber band <laughs> right yeah much better there you go. Um, so a lot of the uh, these kinds of conveniences are foolproofing. So another example would be I have a lot of folding cameras and the really old ones were just a knob advance. And if you didn't pay attention, you'd get double exposures or you, you know, have empty frames because you advanced it too many times or whatever. That's inconvenient. Um, on the other hand, the newer style ones that automatically advance a full frame and won't let you take a picture until you advance it again. Those are a pain because you can't do a double exposure. You can't do a partial advance. You can't do any of these other things. And also I found that they often are prone to mechanical failure because all those extra devices can jam and a device that's built into the camera that prevents you from firing the shutter, you know, it'll shut you down when it goes wrong. <laughs> And then you're out of luck, you know. Um, so that's another problem with complexity is that adds more places where the machine can fail as well as kind of trip up your crazy idea projects. <laughs> so simple cameras for crazy ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh, so another example of that. Have you ever done any shift stitching? Um so um, I'm not sure what that is, but I think so in, in scanning some prints. But um, yeah, so explain. what I'm talking well, what I'm talking about is I've mentioned before there's a device that I thought I had invented and then found out I could just buy one ready made called the Visilex Rhino Cam. Um, Photodiox makes it, and what it is is it's just a, a a system which puts a lens in front of a small sensor digital camera, and then you you can slide the camera without moving the lens. So you put the lens on a tripod and then you slide the camera uh, sideways and then drop it down and slide it back the other way mm -hmm. and take a whole series of frames that are, um, because the way the thing is marked, each frame is overlapping the next one a little bit, like 10 or 20%. Sure. And when you take all those files, you can dump them into Photoshop or Lightroom and just tell it to make a panorama and it will 
stitch them all together into one giant file. So it's a way to take, uh, like in my case, an APS-C sensor and get it to cover most of a medium formats uh, area with as many sure. as eight, eight shots that are stitched together. So you get it kind of a crazy high resolution out of an inexpensive camera. And what's fun about it is that because the lens doesn't move, you don't have any issues of perspective shift and, you know, that happen when you, when you move a camera, you're changing its point of view each time. And that does a little bit of weird things to an image, which won't happen if you've got a properly corrected lens that isn't being moved between frames. And there's other conveniences you can, compose all at once. So the device I have has a, a ground glass that you can slide in front. So you can see the whole image through the ground glass. And then when you're taking the photos, you have the power of zoom, zoomed in view through the electronic viewfinder and you can focus precisely and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so anyway, the point I'm trying to get to is that you can view this as a very inconvenient camera because you have to take a whole series of photographs to get one image. So any kind of movement in in the subject is a problem uh potentially um and so that's a limitation but on the other hand it's also an it gives you opportunities that you can't get any other way so for instance you can take a selfie with where you appear in the same image eight times or you know mm -hmm. you have mm -hmm. eight opportunities to adjust what's going on in the image so you could for instance play with lighting um change the lighting between frames and and you know make all sorts of weird things happen um, so that thing that at first seems to be an inconvenience is actually a whole series of opportunities. So that's what, that's where I'm going with this idea that for crazy ideas, you need the most flexible possible camera. And of course, the extreme version of that is a large format camera, which is just, you know, literally flexible. It's literally flexible. It's just got a, a, you know, a lens at one end and film at the other and a, a light proof tunnel between that you can manipulate in uh, all kinds of different ways. Um, and, the, and the cameras can become elaborate in that there are a lot of uh, little knobs and things to, you know, adjust, but they don't have to be. And, and, and that led me to this idea of the concertina camera, which I've seen things sort of like this, but it's something I've thought about for a while, which is sort of like a large format lens baby idea where you have the bellows, instead of having your standards attached to a rigid frame, they're just free to move. And you have a handle on the front standard and a handle on the rear standard. And you can just kind of you know, manipulate the two freely, sort of like free lensing. <laughs> And, and no, give up all sure that give up all that control and you would need you know you would probably want a a really nice uh like face mask style hood that you could just press your face in at the right distance from the ground glass for your eyes to focus on it you know uh -huh. um but then and it, but and then you could stagger around manipulating this thing and taking pictures yeah, you'd but, have to you'd have to drop film yeah. in there you need the sliding yeah, back so you have you seen the sliding back uh, backs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ground glass and the film holder are side by side. You can just slide but, it over. Yeah. But still, if you have one of the standards in each hand in a pistol grip, how are you? What with what hand are you going to load the film? No, it's a sliding back. So so the the face hood has a strap yeah. like a diving mask. So it's strapped sure, no, to your I, face. <laughs> so you just literally I slide see. your face over and then fire the shutter. <laughs> I see. So you're effectively pushing it with your nose. 
Yeah, you have to basically, you'd be like a, a blind mime, essentially, right? As you. <laughs> I don't think this is a good camera. <laughs> I think it has to be built. I think it has to be built. I mean, uh, so how many are you actually going to build of your craziest ideas? It's are like, we actually going to get a wheelbarrow camera? Well, they're definitely going to do the wheelbarrow camera. I'm not sure about the the uh, face clamping concertina camera. But, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's tempting, and it wouldn't be hard. I mean, you, you basically have almost everything you need in, like, a cheap old rail camera if you just take it off the take it off its rail, and, you know, it wouldn't sure. be that hard to do. Sure. And a, a diving mask glued onto the, <laughs> onto the sliding... Uh, rear end and i don't know it's it's just something that needs a little assembly take a few hours to make if you have the right parts and then, uh, uh, you'd be out stepping on your on your you know cr- crushing flowers in the garden in no time oh boy <laughs> uh, <laughs> it gives me uh stress to think about what a hard project that would be <laughs> to get to work I don't know. It wouldn't be hard at all. See, you're you're imagining starting from scratch and making something. <laughs> well, I already have some factory second bellows from there uh, you go. early days. See, you're well on the way. And then you just need some foam core and a, a lens, something you don't mind falling on your face on top of. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to need a lot of duct tape and throwing away camera parts, which luckily I have in spades. There you go. See. <laughs> I bet you could have one working by this time tomorrow. Oh, boy. No, I, <laughs> I've got a lot of orders to fill. I'm very stressed. <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the sort of moral of this. I like the flexibility of simple machines. So there, there's a couple more things on our list that I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. What is the Flexosaurus camera? Is that what we were just talking about, or is that something yeah. else? Yeah, so that's that same thing. And and imagine that the, the concertina isn't just free-floating, that the bellows would have what I think of as a Gumby spine, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of those thick, bendable things that has a bit of memory. So when you when you find a position, you don't actually have to have, like, you know, the perfect body control of a mime. You could just bend it around till you liked what you saw and then it would sort of hold its shape for you. Yeah. yeah it seems more practical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, see, it always ends up being so ever so practical in the end. Yeah. Um, the wheelbarrow camera is a certainty uh, whether it will have all the crazy features that I thought up. Of course, that's another matter. Um, really what I, all I really need is an eight by 10 box camera with simple way to focus it. Um, that's what I, and a shutter, it needs some kind of shutter. Um, even if it's just a, you know, a slow bulb shutter that lets me shoot paper. Um, that's, that's a fine place to start. And, and so do do you own the wheelbarrow already? Well, I, I wouldn't use, I mean, we have a lot of wheelbarrows here, but I wouldn't use an actual wheelbarrow. I'll, I would put wheels on my camera. Uh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's not. A wheelbarrow is not the ideal height off the ground or angle or any of that, you know. A little I, tippy. No, and I, I like, I actually like making things from scratch, too. <laughs> and this is something that I could build with steel, which is what I'm used to working with and I'm all set up for. So, 
Okay, am I picturing like um, caster wheels, or are they sort no, of like big wheels? So pushing towards bicycle wheel. Um, they could be uh, they could be wheelbarrow wheels, but or garden cart or bicycle. And I mean, in the long run, I'm going towards bicycle because I want something that I can move, you know, over distance, um, uh-huh. over rough terrain, and that sort of thing. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> and of course, you, you have. You could pop the wheels off, put on skis for, you know, snow travel and that kind of Of course, thing. Or, or pontoons. Pontoons to go on the water, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, Nick, do you have a, an idea when you're going to get started working on this camera? Pretty soon, pretty soon. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing really big projects, uh, and so I'll have some time to work on this, you know, over the next couple of months to get started anyway. Um, and just... You know, just the simple first version won't be hard. It's just a, a box, so shouldn't be too hard. And I might get, you know, a little bit carried away. I have an, an old uh, speed graphic shutter that's a 4 by 5 focal plane shutter, and I think it's big enough that if I put it right behind my giant lens, it should work. Um, and that, that would give me a pretty decent shutter. Uh, mm-hmm. So I need, I need to fool around with that. It should work. Does, does your giant lens have multiple cells, like a front cell and a back cell? Can they be separated? Yeah, it's a it's a it's actually a relatively modern lens. It's coated and everything else. Um, it's got a really nice app, uh, multi-blade aperture, uh, controllable aperture. I mean, it's a it's a complete lens, mm-hmm. even, even as the mounting ring. It's extremely stout. I, you know, I'm going to have to make my own lens board for it. That's, that's very sturdy because one inch thick plywood, it's, it's three and a half pounds. This lens. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a certain, I'm certainly going to make that. And I have a eight by 10 film holder. Um, a friend gave me a couple of them. So, you know, I kind of got all the parts. I just, I just have to assemble it. Hey, Nick, what have you been working on this week? Well, I've been doing a couple different things, but uh, the, what I've been sketching and thinking about is uh, cameras to respond to the, the challenge that we came up with for making it essentially an instant camera or a camera that produces a either a negative or a positive uh, print or piece of film, um, all made in camera or with, you know, at least with equipment you'd take into the field as opposed to having a darkroom back home. So that uh, that project is something that really interests me. And, you know, for me, it started with the idea of just a pinhole developing tank. But now I'm more interested in something that would make a so I'm not really that enthusiastic a pinhole photographer. So I, I, you know, immediately want to go to a lens and a bigger piece of film and at least eight by 10 paper is what I'd like to work with. So that's the direction I've been going and thinking about or four by five, but a decent sized image um, shot with a lensed camera. And an idea that popped into my head, it also came to you simultaneously, or you had the idea maybe a few hours before I did. And I think that's pretty funny. It's like one of the things these challenges do is they kind of get us thinking in parallel. 
and uh, you had came up with an idea of making a developing tank that's also a film holder that you could just stick on the back yeah, of the graph yeah, was, camera. Was, yeah, and I, I had thinking, and I had the like, same idea like the next morning, yeah. you know, like as if it, <laughs> you know, your dreams were loud or something. Anyway, it it was funny because uh, it's a good idea actually. Um, I have one of those I have one of those little four sheet uh, daylight tanks for developing four by five film, and it's not much bigger than a than a film holder. And it just occurred to me, well make a little bit of a larger film holder that can hold fluid and you know you've got something that could be well you'd need a watertight dark slide that's basically the that's the engineering part you have to figure out um so i spent i spent probably a good long time thinking about this not even sketching but there there's a bunch of issues there's the watertight that watertight dark slide and also um, how close that dark slide is to the film and how you agitate chemicals right. through there on the emulsion side. And so, so I kind of, I, I was thinking about more of like, how would you build, um, instead of a single or, or double-sided holder with the ability to pour chemistry in it, I was kind of thinking about some sort of uh, like a graphmatic back that either, you know, dripped uh, little holders uh, down into into the chemistry or mm -hmm. more like um, a film holder with baffle holes in it so that you could take your film holder directly and just put it in the processing bath, dip it, you know, and the, the right. chemistry would come through it, but it wouldn't have to be. Um, yeah. Cause you're you going to make a mess of your film holder by, you know, getting developed. Yeah. I think these are all ultimately kind of bad ideas, and I'm I'm not planning on going down that path for our uh, our challenge. But uh, well, I do. I'm not. I'm I'm actually in favor of doing um, the very simple idea, which is a single sheet film, develop it right in the film holder. But you can solve a lot of problems um, by keeping it simple. So instead of needing a watertight dark slide, you just tip it on its back. back. And turn yeah. it into a tray essentially and then the dark slide can just be a regular dark slide and then all you need to do is just get a little more space between the film so you, you just need to make the film support mechanism in there such that you can let it drop back into the center of the tank after you've exposed the um, negative um, so that's clever. yeah so so basically you're just it's just again it's making it really simple and then you have to operate it a little bit yourself but I think that would work um, pretty nicely. And so maybe you've got to, you know, a few of these in your bag and you can't take a ton of pictures, but you can get a finished piece of, you know, with a monobath, really, you could get a finished result really quickly. Um, so that's kind of appealing. Uh, yeah, I and really then, like that idea. Yeah, so that's simple enough to be worth a try, I think. Um, and I like that I don't have to build a whole camera, too. <laughs> are, I already have are a you bunch thinking of, about actually building that one? Yeah, I mean, and just think about using it with like, uh, you know, the the OG, for instance, you know, that's a light camera, but put this little tank film holder on yeah. the back, take a picture, that's pull exactly it out. That's exactly what I'm thinking of doing. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I, I think that would be a really nice camera. So if I was building it, I would take an actual plastic film holder and I would cut the back off and put a bigger tank on it. And, you know, I would probably go to, I'd probably go to the, you know, to the, uh, pharmacy and look for a little cheap plastic tray that's the right size or tupperware or whatever that i could you know light proof and put on there 
who knows well, you would just uh, draw it up and print it out yeah i'm i'm struggling to pay attention on the podcast right now i want to whip out a sheet of paper <laughs> and start drawing <laughs> yeah that that solves your idea for one putting it on its back and two dropping the back plate away from the film so it drops to the bottom of the tank i think is a really really clever one and i'm excited about it i don't know that i'm going to go on that tangent just yet but well, uh, i i also have a whole bunch of those stuff those stainless steel frames that were designed to develop sheets of four by five in a drop-in tank in, in yeah, sure. darkness. So I have a lot of those frames already and they're quite lightweight and easy to work with. So that part is also taken care of already. Um, so, and then there's other ways to approach it. So you could have the film mounted in the middle of a bigger tank and then just put the, the appropriate spacer in front of the ground glass. So, that'd be another workaround um, that would be an even simpler design so that, you know, you could have a very simple film holder that was just deeper than normal and then add the right spacer on the ground glass and, you know, you're ready to go. Now, now that you're actually talking about that, it reminds me of like, you know, those motorized hanger ticket systems they have at the dry cleaners. Kind of oh like yeah. 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 Around. What if you had one of those where you had like, you know, a stack of plates somewhere and they were all on these curved rails and then somehow through a light baffle you could shift, uh, you know, one of those hangers with a negative on it into down a track and into another chamber where it gets exposed to light and then, you know, flip another switch and move it down the track into processing baths. So here's what I immediately am picturing. So you're going to buy a old laundromat and you're going to convert it into a photo <laughs> studio where you're going to take life-size prints of people in the studio in the front and you're going to hang this print up on that, on that machine. i wish um that no that would be a really fun exhibit for sure uh, now we're back into the territory of <laughs> now talking about cameras i will never build <laughs> there ought to be a way to make a washing machine into an automatic developing device Yes, Perfect. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not ideal. It would use way too much chemistry. But, I mean, uh, you can make anything into anything with enough uh, time and patience and money. Uh, but, uh, half and yeah. all, half and all, right? If you, want, if you want a really big washing machine developing device, you could sure. go with it. You could sure. have it this could be whole done. Thing. There are easier ways to do it. So though. you need to open a coffee shop. Right to provide yourself with enough of the of the caffeine uh, to make the caffeinol. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, uh, well, have you been photo photo oriented coffee shops are you know they're a, a up and coming thing now. Yeah, I've heard that. I haven't been to one, but it would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um. Have you been working on anything else besides um, thinking about and making some sketches for this project? Uh, let's see. Well, I've been getting out and taking some photos, uh, exposing film. I've been mostly shooting the uh, uh, homunculus and a couple of 35 millimeter cameras. Speaking of simple cameras, a friend of mine just sent me a really lovely camera that I've always wanted, which is a little Vito, uh, Voigtlander Vito or Vito B. Um, and that's the simplest of that line of 35 millimeter cameras. It just has a viewfinder, scale focus, shutter, and aperture controls. Everything is really straightforward. Um, 
and very small. It's a really lovely little tiny, you know, camera that you just hold in one hand. Um, and it's something that you and uh, and Graham and I were, have been talking about a lot lately. But it's it's sort of the freedom of scale focus that once you just stop worrying about having a wide open lens and then getting critical focus, if you just stop down a little bit and learn to estimate, it just simplifies everything. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You just turn the knob till it's in the right place, set your exposure and forget about it. And now you have a beautiful point and shoot camera and you just, all you have to think about is what your subject's doing and when to press the button. Yeah, I've been shooting actually a lot with this uh, panoramic version of the homunculus and um, yeah, I've been shooting a lot in broad daylight, so it's pretty easy to do this, but I've been shooting at like uh, 125th or 250th at f16, and then at f16, like pretty much everything from six feet to infinity and zoom focus, and so um, sure. it's, it's super quick to use. I really dig it, but I, yep. I, I don't know. I like that uh, shallow focus with the Hasselblad sometimes. Yeah, so you've got two different tools, yeah. um, but it's easy to it's easy to forget the advantages of working the other way. Now, of course, you can do the same thing with your Hasselblad. Oh, no, and, but this is a thousand times faster. Right. You've still got this cumbersome thing and, you you know, framing by looking through the, the lens is not always ideal. It's nice often to be outside the camera or using a viewfinder where you don't have the kind of cumbersome uh, experience of peering into a hole and all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of that's coming back to our original idea, but it's it's sort of normal. Uh, another of, of these funny um, coincidences, like uh, the developing tank film holder, is that that ludicrous wearable photo lab that I <laughs> came up with last week. It, it turns out that Heather Oaklaus had exactly the same idea and made a remarkably similar sketch. Uh, which I think she sent to, did she send it to you? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I was amazed. I'm, but it was you know, almost the exactly the same week. concept that occurred to us yeah. probably within a few days of the same time. <laughs> yeah. And that, and, I really, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just was really delighted to see that there's another lunatic out there. Yeah, I really loved it. It was using like a ballpark, you know, a hot dog or popcorn, one of those trays you wear, mm -hmm. kind of like a, like a bib and a shelf together. Yeah, yeah uh, she, she called it a cigarette camera. girl camera, which is great. I mean, it's the same <laughs> same kind of idea, but it's a it's it shows that there's a certain logic to it. It's not just loony. You know? It has this idea has a history. You can sell peanuts this way, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of a form following function, I guess, if that's your function. Sure. Uh, kind of. Uh, they they look strikingly <laughs> similar. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, uh, I would. I would. I don't know if Heather's actually going to build that camera, uh, but if she does, I, <laughs> I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, well, I think we should. I think we should make something like it anyway. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple that I'm working on. I made a sketch of an electronic duodenum camera <laughs> that digests your pictures. But oh, I really uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I basically what it was is internally, um, you know, a paper processor like a Fujimoto or something that we used to have, um, and then it's just got a, you know, uh, paper feed. Think like 
Epson or HP printer or 3D printed version of that thing, and then it feeds into a exposure chamber or you know film gate or whatever, and then feeds into the processor directly. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons why I shouldn't make that, which is it's a very specific thing, but I think also the technology that I would develop in building it would be able to be split off to make some paper processors that I think people would really like and maybe ultimately some film processors. But um, as I want to use it in this camera or, or this sort of process, it sort of revolves around uh, me making direct positives, which I think you could do super simply with like maybe uh, Ilford Harmon paper and monobath. Um, I haven't tried it in monobath, but certainly, you know, a couple of chemicals and uh, direct positive paper um, that, that would work. But I, I'm really interested by this uh, reversal bleaching process that I've been toying with. And um, if I can get that process to work, maybe I would make a much larger, uh, larger processor that would have more baths, uh, able to do a more complicated chemical process than just maybe monobath or monobath and rinse. Right. Uh, and I looked at the drawing and, and it looked like your paper's dipping itself into a, a tank of fluid and then coming up and over a hump and <clears> dipping <throat> itself into the next tank of fluid. And you're controlling the length of development time by how the speed of travel. Is that right? No. So everything moves at the same speed. Um, the length of the developing bath, how deep it is and oh, the length of the... How, so how much fluid you pour in. So that's actually pretty responsive. You could adjust that pretty quickly and individually too. Well, so less how much fluid you... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give it a big air gap. You could control it that way. I was thinking about actually changing the depth of the tank, but I, I guess you could do it either way. Well, isn't that yeah. essentially the same thing? Um, yeah, except one has like a big oxidation air gap, right? So you could imagine oh, I see. a huge air gap between developer and stop, right? Uh, but you don't want to sit and stop that for very long. So maybe, you know, the turnaround for stop is, you know, one inch diameter pipe, just for example, and, right. and developers a four inch diameter pipe or something like that. So it could be a type of thing where there's a piston that travels up and down and changes the depth of the fluid but you don't want an air gap so it's going to have to stretch you need a telescoping tank right yeah i just need different different i need to build the at least in this iteration i need to build it around a few simple processes i'd like to build it around this complicated process first but we'll see i, I i've been having a lot of trouble with it excuse me um so i decided because i needed to test the process i needed some simpler cameras to do it with, and so I can do things like um, put a sheet of paper in the back of my Hasselblad, or um, I just designed this little self-developing pinhole uh, camera that, you know, just sort of as a proof of concept, there's a lot of things I might change with it, but it's, it's basically just a square box. Um, the shutter for the pinhole is on the inside of the box. It just slips through one side, and it's like a, like a guillotine shutter, you know, you just pull it up or push it down. Um, Kind of like but a the, like a dark slide, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and the cool thing about that is because you can um, put a dark slide in behind the pinhole. Then I made the pinhole go on a uh, screw-in cap, mm -hmm. and so you screw the cap in to put a pinhole in or change your pinhole, whatever. And then you can screw it off. And I made another cap that's um, 
instead of having a pinhole through it, it has a light baffle. So you can close the shutter, put the uh, light baffle cap on, open the shutter, and then you have a developing tank. You can develop the pictures in there. And so I've been playing with that a little bit. Uh, The camera works great, but um, I think there's some refinements I might make. More importantly, though, the process I want to use it for uh, is really hard. So um, this is kind of an interesting thing that um, I've been reading. I'll I'll put a link to the discussion, I think, on Phototrio. That's how you say it. But uh, also watching videos by Don Frula and Joe Van Cleve about um, making direct positives out of photo paper. And so basically, um, the process goes like you develop... You, you shoot your paper negative or paper positive, whatever. Um, you develop it to completion in the first bath in, in developer and then take it out and rinse it. And instead of going to stop and fix, now what you're going to do is bleach it in a bleach that will only bind to the activated silver salt, the, the black pixels, if you will, black grains. Mm-hmm. Um, and bleach that out, right? So now everything that was developed, you get rid of. Um, and then you take that out and rinse it again. Um, and you don't stop and fix it at that point. You flash it with some light so that all of the pixels that were pixels, the, all of the, the salt grains, crystals, were <laughs> crystals. Yeah. That's a, that's, all of the crystals are, um, that are, unexposed from the first exposure are still left. You flash them with light, so now they're exposed. And then you put it into the developer for a second time, and and then everything that was white in the original print had residual silver after you bleached off the black silver in the, the bath. Anyway, then, then you expose that and um, develop it, and you, you get a reversal, everything wouldn't, that was white. Wouldn't it t- tend towards... Uh, the- strongly contrasty you would think it depends and we could go a long way down talking about pre-flashing and changing uh strengths of exposure and chemistry and what right so so you've got yeah you have an equation with too many variables so there's like a lot of solutions there's a lot of Right. right 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 and and so my kind of thought is that um you want to make a first exposure that um so I think there's uh, what I might call headroom in in the blacks in uh, this paper that I'm using, which is I just happen to be using Ilford multi-grade RC. It's what I have around. Um, in that you don't need to expose a piece of paper to sunlight for an hour to get blacks. I think pretty quickly you can get a full black in the image, um, and what you need to be able to do is so the you could think of like the tone in the reversal plus the tone in the uh original negative um see how do i say this is equal to the total amount of black available the total amount of silver crystals available in any one spot on the photo Mm -hmm. and so you may have to overexpose the first exposure by a little bit such that you remove you blacken enough deep enough into the the reserve of silver salt in any one spot such that 
when you then bleach it, you get a light enough picture. Um, and so that's part of it. What I've been really, really struggling with is this bleaching step. So um, <clears throat> traditionally, I think it's R9 bleach is what would be used as a Kodak product. Um, it's some sort of dichromate, which is uh, super bad for you. You don't want to touch it and get it in your skin, which, you know, I might mix under a hood with a respirator in my own home lab, but I'm not going to take that out into the mm-hmm. field and start slopping it around on people and myself. But that's <laughs> not <laughs> respectful. Um, <clears throat> although it may be in some of those um, analog photo booths, I'm not sure. Anyway, that uh, some people have been doing a experimental process where they bleach with um, just a little bit of acetic acid in hydrogen peroxide pretty high concentration of hydrogen peroxide. Um, And that bleach is way less stable, right? I think, and because it's it's a lot of uh, enthusiasts on the internet doing, uh, you know, hypothesis and check and posting rather than Kodak having spent a million dollars to figure it out and publish exactly how it works. Uh, There's a lot of experimentation. A lot of people are having uh, issues bleaching to completion. And so if you can't bleach everything developed from the first developer, um, then you sort of wind up with like also negative tones in the image. Often you get almost like a solarization or Sabatier look. So Um, so some of the images is positive and some is negative kind of in in an amorphous way. Yeah, but even more troubling than that is that sometimes that happens and sometimes it don't. It right, 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 right. Uh, so, it's, it's really, so when you say it's an incomplete bleaching, the bleaching isn't finishing, would it be worth trying uh, two consecutive bleach baths with a, you know, put it to one and then put it so, into a second, uh, a clean, yes. a second clean one? Yes, I think so. There's things you can do, like raise the concentration of your hydrogen peroxide. Um, And then so, okay, I am no chemist. I'm just trying to learn a little bit of chemistry um, so I can get back to my electromechanical tinkerings. But what's going on is the bleach is ionizing the developed uh, silver salts. Mm hmm. And when that happens, eventually the bleach picks up, um, you know, is saturated with silver ions or silver something ions. Uh, sure. Some like whatever, it's, right? it is a lot like a water softener. It basically is a water softener. That's what we're talking no, 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 about. No, 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 no. This is not water. The, we'll talk about the water softener later. That's, but that's how the, they function as well. I mean, uh, I mean, the device in your house, it's, uh-huh. an, it's an ion transfer process. Sure. And anything yeah, yeah. that dissolves is, is, um, usually right. going to make an ion, uh, right. but, but, but it's, but it's focused. It's designed to pick on yes. one, one particular. Yes. Yeah. Um, but then the, the problem is, is once the bleach is saturated with those silver salt ions, um, then it won't pick up more. Yeah. And so what they do is they use, um, citric acid or some sort of acid that will then precipitate out into a salt, um, with the silver, something ion silver halide um and that citric acid helps basically clear the ions out of the clear the silver out of the back end right through through making a salt that'll fall to the bottom or whatever um Mm -hmm. 
but it also retards the process. So the balance of uh, like a buffer, right? It, it yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's worth the idea of doing the, the two bath approach. I think well, that so where, might where work. I was getting is um, Joe Van Cleef seemed to have some success. I haven't gotten this far in my experiments yet with separating out the acid bath from the bleach bath. So you can bleach until, um, you know, until it stops bleaching, then dip it in the acid, which is concentrated there, but not concentrated in the bleach. And so that quickly mm -hmm. turns everything uh, into salts. Right. And, and that's pretty much a stop, what a stop bath. Yeah, I think there's also too. something to um, like available atmospheric oxygen uh, in the developing process. And so I don't think bubbling it is the way to go because um, if you bubble hydrogen peroxide, you're just going to make it, you know, break down. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe dipping the page or the, the photo in and out has something to do with it maybe that you know gives it some oxygen to react with but mm -hmm. again i'm i'm a really i'm a high school chemist at best um mm -hmm. yeah well, i'm gonna try and figure it out but you know some some of the uh examples are really promising um there's a version of the process where instead of fogging with light you chemically fog with this product called iron off out which is a water softener and sure. yeah um so yeah that gives a really like uh, sepia tint because i'm lacking a uh, clearing solution which i will make up sometime soon and try and make that into a black and white process again i, have, I like just, the sepia though i have to say um that looks really sepia, nice yeah but i don't like being limited to it mm -hmm. um, sure and then I have like some weird ones where nothing really bleached. And I'm not sure what went on. And somehow like the whole front of the paper looks like um, a tarnished, shiny piece of silver. Very interesting. It might be worth also trying a, uh, if you can find some non-coated paper that's, uh, that's, that's got, that's not um, multi-grade, that's, you know, some okay. sort of simpler, it might change things. It might take, it might might not make any difference, but it might take a variable out and make it your, your results I think more that's, consistent. I don't know. That's totally reasonable. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then there's but, and then there's glass plates. I mean, there's so many things to try that that might or might not simplify it. Yeah, I'm gonna go through a few hundred more pictures. One thing that I liked about this developing tank camera that I've been using to shoot with is it's uh, it's like two and a quarter by two and a quarter or so. It took me all day to shoot a couple uh, a couple sheets of eight by ten, which was nice for testing. Right, it doesn't but, use a lot of chemicals too. Yeah, all my pictures were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's also that that aspect of it too, like you know, the camera itself is, you know, are you really rinsing it between experiments or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, I've. Uh, I have mostly been doing the experiments in trays just so I can watch it. And yeah. that way I could clean the camera. But right. um, yeah. And once I, once I figure out the process, I would, I think it would be a really good magic trick to be able to, you know, do in front of somebody, take a pinhole picture and then, you know, just pull a positive right out of the camera after mm -hmm. 10 minutes of shaking. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I, I that's something that really appeals to me because I actually like really like instant photography and I really don't want to buy expensive Fuji and Polaroid products. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's something really attractive about this whole idea. So I got my copy of Applied Photographic Optics First Edition by Sidney F. Ray in the mail, and it's going to be a really useful book, but it's going to be a long time before I can really get into it. It's very technical, but there's lots of pictures and lots of ideas explained. So I think if I start wading into it, I'll understand more about lenses than I ever did. And and it it kind of gives you a way to understand the differences between lenses. I don't imagine that I'm going to be designing a whole lot of complicated lenses going forward, but I'd like to be able to understand a little bit more of what's going on in the different lenses I use. And this book will certainly help with that. So I'm looking forward to digging into it. And uh, uh, I also wanted to talk about some uh, stuff that I saw on the internet recently, um, some of these new cameras that have appeared on Instagram, uh, especially there's an instant camera that uh, somebody named Badru Jones, uh, or on Instagram, he's Bad Moon. Uh, he made a really elegant camera by putting together an Instax camera with a lens off an old Kodak folder and f an elegant frame for holding it and that also supports uh, a uncoupled optical rangefinder. It's just a really nice design for a uh, an instant camera that gives full manual control. And it looks really nice. It looks a lot, like a lot of fun to use. So those pictures of that are on our Flickr stream as well as on the Instagram account of Bad Moon. Uh, and, it's moon one Sorry, I was looking. There you go. Up. Yeah, bad.moon1. And uh, another recent uh, contraption that really caught my eye is a guy named Martin Norton. And this was on uh, Emulsive. Uh, I think it was on the Emulsive site. Is that right? I believe it was. Uh, anyway, he did an article on this uh, special back that he made for his Toyo View camera. And basically all he did is take an old film holder, um, cut a hole in it and glue on a, an adapter so that he could clip uh, a digital camera to this device, stick it on the back of a camera. And he's just using it as a, a extremely cropped digital back for his large format camera and just playing with movements and so forth. But he's also created a shift stitch device. I don't know if he's aware of that, but... All you have to do is <laughs> methodically move the rear standard to set a set of different positions, and you can then stitch sure. together a much larger image using more of the image circle of the large format lens. So it's a really, really simple way to get into this whole thing, and I, I, I liked seeing it. It's something I've always thought of trying and never did, so it's, it's great to see someone doing it. And uh, those are those are my shout-outs. Do you have any for, for this uh, week? 
Uh, yeah, shout out to Heather Oklaus came to visit my studio and she was in Albuquerque. She had a giant pinhole truck picture um, that was at the center of a of a art museum exhibition about pinholes. Nice. Um, yeah, so we we got to meet up. She saw my 3D printers and um, and she sent that wacky picture uh, of a wearable camera. I I'm really hoping that somebody will will make a wearable camera. Well, I think hey. if anyone is going to make it, Heather will, and I'm. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It sounds like you're trying to wiggle out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know, but she's 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 got a lot of energy for crazy ideas, you know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, hey, should we do this? Uh, should we do a um, like a call for call outs, like a or call ins with a description of the cameras people are making? Do you have, are you asking people to send in descriptions? Right well, now? I'm asking you if we should ask people to send in uh, descriptions of what they think they might want to make. People, please, please people, please send in descriptions of, <laughs> of the cameras that you're working on, especially this idea of instant or self-developing cameras, but actually anything you're working on. We always like to hear uh, about what people are working on. And uh, yeah. yeah. How about a you know, one to five minute ish, uh, audio file, just an MP3 would be great and send it to, do we have an info account or, well, we or, have email associated with our website. Um, so what's that email? Well, go to the website, <laughs> <laughs> send it to Ethan at camera com. I'll deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember all my email addresses. That's it's too okay. complicated. Okay, this is what happens when Graham goes on vacation. <laughs> yeah, that's it's all, it's all in his head, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's a really good idea. And if you don't like talking into a microphone, there's nothing wrong with typing out an email and making one of us read it as well. That's true. Yeah. We'll read it. Okay. Uh, Great. And I think the last thing to do is, uh, well, you do it. Oh, I want to thank Robbie Cribs for creating the music that we use throughout our show every every two weeks when we bring out a new show. And you can find Robbie's work at uh, Soundtrap Studios on the Internet. Thanks, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs>